Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to continue this morning in our series called A Lifestyle of Prayer, and I really and truly hope that this series has been a real blessing to you, because I know that it has been a real blessing to me as I've been preparing it, and uh, man, I pray that this is, is causing you to see changes and shifts in your prayer life, because I know that it is uh, doing that for me, amen? Um, as, as we continue this morning in our series, um, A Lifestyle of Prayer, I want to both, I want to inspire you and I want to challenge you at the same time. And I think that any good preacher worth his salt is going to try to do those things all the time. They're going to try to inspire and they're going to try to challenge. And the invitation to inspire and the invitation to be challenged is the same invitation. They both lead to the same place and that is growth. Amen. They both lead to the same direction and in the same place, and that is growth. A challenge from the Word of God is a reminder that we need to grow. And an inspiration from the Word of God is a reminder that we can. Let me say that one more time. A challenge from the Word of God is a reminder to us that we need to grow. How many of you are just totally happy with where you're at? No need to grow. Totally good. Leave me alone. Nobody, right? So a challenge from God's word is an invitation to grow, and it's inviting us and it's reminding us that we need to grow. But an inspiration from God's word is an invitation and a reminder that we can. See, if all I did was challenge you, you'd feel beat up, and I don't want you to feel beat up. Amen. I don't know if you've ever gone to the gym and had one of those kind of trainers that just like, just tries to kill you the first time you're there. I, I went, my wife and I, when we were first married, we got, we got um, a free membership to Gold's Gym because this was when we lived in Florida and she was a teacher down there and somehow through her school, her and her whole family could go to Gold's Gym. And so we had a free training session with this monstrosity of a man and he, and he put me on the treadmill and he's like, uh, what's your workout history? I was like, oh, I used to work out in high school. You know, it's been a while. And uh, believe it or not, I was skinnier than I am now, so I don't know what this would look like right now. But I uh, got on this treadmill, and he turned it up to like 10 miles an hour or something crazy like that. And I'm just like trying not to fall off. I'm like, please. And my wife, who is more athletic than I am, quite frankly, is over there just taking it, just Head down, just going for it. I'm like, man, I married an amazing woman. And finally I tapped out. I was like, turn that thing off. He, he started us and he just kept pushing the up arrow as we would go like 30 seconds, push it up again, push it up again. And I just felt like I was going to die. I was like, man, do you want my business or not? Because if you want me to come back, you need to take it easy, Jack. Take it easy, man. So I don't want you... I want you to feel challenged. I don't want you to feel threatened. Right? No, so if, if, I, if all I ever do is challenge you, then you could feel beat up. You could feel threatened. If 
all I ever do is inspire you, then I'll never give you an opportunity to grow. So my goal today and through this series and through the year and through everything that I ever preach, my desire is that you be equally challenged and inspired, that you know you need to grow and that you believe that you can because the word of God is powerful. So I want us to continue. This is part four of our Lifestyle of Prayer series. Our main text comes from James chapter 5, verse 16, which we read in the New Living Translation, because the New Living Translation, in my estimation, nails it on this verse. James chapter 5, verse 16 in the New Living, and it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think there's a, yeah, fire truck going by. Let's try that again. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, watch this, has great power and produces wonderful results. I just think the new living just nails it on that. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This, my friends, is a promise from the Bible. It is a promise to you and to me which says that our prayer life is, should be, effective. If we're praying ineffective prayers, it's not a reason for me to question the word, but rather a reason for me to question why are my prayers ineffective. The earnest prayer of a righteous person makes great, has great power and produces wonderful results. I've been saying this to you each week. I believe with all of my heart that the most important spiritual discipline in the life of a Christian is consistent heartfelt, faith-filled prayer. I believe it's the most important, the most dynamic spiritual discipline that we possess as Christians is a life of steady, consistent, earnest, heartfelt, faith-filled prayer. And it's my intention and my goal through this series to help to give you and I an understanding of how to pray effectively. My goal from the beginning has been to try to help you to understand this is how you pray and then to help you feel motivated to actually do it. If we can show from the scripture, if we can prove from the word of God that prayer is a good thing and that it'll change your life if you actually do it with all your heart, then you know what? That's all the, that's all the motivation I need to become a person of prayer. Now, we said that there are six different essentials that we wanted to cover in prayer, and we've been using words that start with C so that it's easy to understand or rather easy to remember. The first prayer essential was connection. Connection is the key to answered prayer. The second is, is conversation. The third, which we covered last week, confidence. You ought to pray confidently. God doesn't like what we call mamby-pamby prayers. Amen. Number four, which we're going to talk about this today, is consistency. Number five is charismatic. That's praying in other tongues, praying in the Spirit. And then number six, 
compassionate. If my prayer is not filled with love and compassion, then it's falling way short of its potential. Amen? So connection, conversation, confidence, consistency, charismatic, and compassionate. Real quickly to review. Oh, I think I, I, think I almost forgot to mention this. Last week we had some technology gremlins that got in and messed with our recording, so we weren't able to post the podcast from last week. And so I'm going to do my best to give you a real fast snapshot of what we talked about with regard to confidence in prayer. But prayer number one essential was connection. Connection is the key to answered prayer, and prayer is the key to connection. They have a symbiotic relationship. The more you pray, the more your prayers will get answered. The more your prayers get answered, the more you'll pray, right? Number two, prayer essential was conversation. Something that we often forget but shouldn't is that prayer is a conversation. It's two-sided, and it should be interactive, if all I ever do is talk to God and I fail to listen, then, my, then I'm selling myself way short on prayer. How many of you would love for your spouse to never talk to you? Don't answer that question. No, that would, that would make for a pretty lousy marriage, wouldn't it? If you didn't communicate. So prayer is a conversation. Number three, prayer essential, what we talked about last week, was confidence. Our prayer life should be bold and confident. It should be specific, without ambiguity, without the use of many words where fewer would do, especially in an attempt to be vague or evasive. Remember that I told you that my kids, when they come to me and they beat around the bush with me, it's irritating. Um, Daddy, you know, like, um, remember how... Like, um, you said, like, that we could have, like, after we finished eating dinner and we made sure that we ate all our broccoli, you said that, like, maybe we could, and I'm just like, kid, get to the point. I know you want the chocolate. You know you want the chocolate. Everybody here knows what we want. Just come out and say it, and I'll say yes, and you can go eat the chocolate. You see, God knows what you need before you ever even start praying. And the Bible said, we sang about it today. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible says that all the promises of God are in Christ, yes and amen. So the, the, the guy who has already answered your, your prayer in the affirmative also knows the thing you want to pray for before you even pray it. He's not, you're not praying because you're giving him some new information. He already knows what you want, and he's already told you you can have it. So your prayer should be, Father, I thank you. I have boldness to come before you today and say that because your word says that I can be healed, I receive my healing and I take it in Jesus' name. That's a confident prayer. Amen? And that's the way that we need to live our life. We said that the main takeaways from last week were, number one, to pray God's word. That if you want your prayer to be confident, start by praying the word of God. Find some scriptures that have to do with what your prayer is and what your need is, and begin to pray those things. One of the most effective prayers you'll ever pray in your life is the prayers that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. You can find them in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 28, and you can find them in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning right about, I think, verse 16. 16, 17. I have to go back and look, but... Those are some of the most effective prayers that you can pray. Do you know why? Because Paul was praying those things over the church of Ephesians. 
And he, if, he, if it was good enough for Paul to pray, and if it was good enough to make it into the scriptures, how many of you think it's good for you to pray over your family? That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they might know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above principalities, powers, mights, dominions, and every name which is named, both in this age and in the age which is to come. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Pray that over your family. Pray it till you memorize it. And watch them turn. Amen. Ah, y'all sound like you don't believe me, but it's true. Praise, take, praise God that you can take his word and pray it over your family, over your life. So number one takeaway from last week was to pray God's word. Number two was to be specific in your prayer. Amen. Be specific in your prayer. Don't pray nebulous things. Prayer essential number four, which we're going to talk about today. I did, I did okay reviewing, right? That was fast. So I tried to make it compact. Prayer essential number four today is consistency. I invite you to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. We believe we have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. I believe you're going to grow in the things of God and become spiritually stronger than you were when you got here. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I want you to notice two different words that appear in this particular scripture. The first one is the word always. The second is the word perseverance. Always and perseverance gives the idea to us that consistency in prayer is very important. The presence of those two words in this scripture, praying always and praying with all perseverance, gives us the understanding, creates the idea in our mind that prayer ought to be consistent if it is to be effective. How many of you know you don't get good at something by doing it once? Right? Especially not bungee jumping. <laughs> right? You get good at doing something by doing it over and over and over again. This word for always here is actually three words in the Greek. And when you, when you extrapolate it from the original language, when you pull it out of the Greek and you do your good Greek homework, you'll find that it means at all times. At all times. Praying at all times. It introduces the concept of time to us. I want to say a couple of things here real quickly about the word time in this scripture so that you can understand how significant and how important it is. You want to go and be nerdy with me for a second in the Greek language? Here we go. There are two words used in the New Testament in the Greek to describe the word time. One of them is the word chronos. Chronos. The other is the word kairos. 
Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is the word which involves the mechanics of time. It involves the measuring of time. Minutes, seconds, milliseconds, hours, days, months. You follow? That's chronos. We get words like chronometer from the word chronos. Chronographic, chronological. If you're a fan of expensive watches, you know what a chronometer is. It's a very expensive movement that's in a watch that keeps it very accurate. So it, it, when we see this word chronos in Scripture, it has everything to do with the mechanical boundaries involved in measuring time. And then there's the second word, kairos. It doesn't describe the mechanics of time at all. In fact, the word kairos involves the significance of time. Kronos involves the measurement and the mechanics of time. Kairos involves the significance of time. To put it to you this way, Kronos tells me that there are 24 hours in a day. Kairos will tell me why the day is special. It's your anniversary, blockhead. You better remember it. Right? June 16th, 2007. It's on the inside of my wedding ring, just in case I forget. When June 16th rolls around, Josh better be on his game. Kronos will tell me all day that there's, there's 24 hours in that day. Kairos will tell me why that day is significant. Which of these two words do you think Paul was using in Ephesians 6 when he said, at all times? Kairos, good answer. The word always, when you stretch it out, is en pas kairos, at all times, at all times of significance. Every significant moment, every opportune moment, every time you have an opportunity, you ought to pray. Every time you have an opportunity or there's a moment in your life that bears significance, it ought to be covered in prayer. It's like David. David understood this. You go read Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. It's my favorite psalm in the whole world. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. He goes on to say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David understood the value of a consistent at all times attitude with God. I'm not just going to pray when it's convenient. I'm going to pray at every opportune moment. Every time life gives me a reason, I'm going to pray. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Every significant moment in our lives deserves conversation with Almighty God. There's simply never a bad time to pray. That's what Paul's telling us here in Ephesians. There's never a bad time to pray. You having a good day? Pray. Pray about it. You having a bad day? Pray about it. You having a terrible week? Pray about it. 
Having an awesome week? Pray about it. Somebody just rob from you and steal from you? Pray about it. Somebody just give you something? Pray about it. That guy from work being a butthead again? Pray about it. Or did he change his attitude and he finally came around and you guys actually like each other? Pray about it. Rejoice together. There's never a bad time. There's never an inopportune moment to pray. Hallelujah. Prayer was never meant to pass the time. It was meant to define the time. Prayer was never meant to pass the time. This is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. You get to talk to the maker of the universe. Next time prayer seems like a boring option, just remember who you're talking to. (laughs) Glory to God. I'm going to say that again because it makes me feel good. Next time you feel like prayer seems like an arduous, boring task, I don't want to pray again, just remember who it is you're having a conversation with. Glory to God. It wasn't meant to just pass the time. It was meant as a way of inviting God into the time so that I can take a chronos moment, a moment that's just going by, whether I like it or not. This seconds, minutes, hours are just ticking by. I don't do anything to keep the clock moving. The clock moves by itself. If I'm smart and if I'm obedient to the scripture, I'll take all those, as many of those chronos times as I can and invite God into them, and he will begin to add value and significance to the time. Prayer was never meant to pass the time. It was always meant to define the time. Our prayer is never meant to be a habit, or excuse me, our prayer is meant to be a habit, not an event. I want to say that, and I want you to ponder it for a second. Our prayer is meant to be a habit, not an event. We are very, in Western culture, not just in America, but in all the developing world, or in all the, in all the developed world, we are event-driven people. We're constantly bombarded by events, things that are happening that seem exciting, What is much less sexy is routine and habit. Anybody can get pumped up about an event. Very few people get jazzed about a routine. Right? What sounds like more fun to you? The Super Bowl or laundry? What sounds like more fun to you? Going to Disney World or chopping vegetables? You can pray while you chop the vegetables if you want. Amen. Obviously, the event is more exciting than the routine. But the reality is, it's the routine that defines your life. It's the routine that defines your life. We are people of habit. How many of you realize that? Did you know I was looking at the statistic this week? Boy, that's hard to say. The the statistic, wow. I was looking at the statistic this week. Did you know that 40 to 50% of the things we do every single day are done by habit? They're the result of the unconscious decision that we made. 
And then that unconscious decision perpetuates itself through our lives. You get up in the morning, you put, I don't know how how you do it, but I tend to put my left leg in the pant leg first. It's just a habit. I don't think about it. I don't burn up mental energy thinking about, well, gee, which which of these two pant legs should I put on first? What's going to make the most sense? No. That's, That's been committed to habit for years now. Amen. Aren't you glad I wear pants? Praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Felt the anointing. Yeah. No, we, 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 those kinds of little decisions, those little fragmenty kinds of decisions are all the result of habit. So much so that half the things you do in a day are actually done by habit. And our prayer life was meant to become habitual. It was meant to become a, a predetermined part of our life. I don't wonder whether I'm going to pray. I know I'm going to pray because it's a decision I made a long time ago. And that decision became a habit and it became part of who I am. And that's what defines your life, not praying once a week as an event. It's meant to be a full-time lifestyle, not a vacation. Everybody loves going to the beach, but, you know, you may, may, you may or may not want to live there. Right? It's meant to be a lifestyle. You are never more effective in prayer than when you are consistent in prayer. Are you following me this morning? You're never more effective in prayer than when you are consistent in prayer. Anyone who's gotten good at anything will tell you that it was because they were consistent. No one becomes good at something by doing it once. What if we made prayer a habit? Hmm. What if we made prayer a habit? What if we made it a lifestyle that we were committed to? You see, you can't knock these things until you try them. Amen. You can't knock this stuff until you try it. Right? It's like my kids who think certain things taste bad and they haven't actually tasted them. Right? No, no, this one's actually got, she's pretty, got a good refined palate. My, my youngest daughter, Sophia, this will make you laugh. I, I like to make crepes for my kids on Saturday mornings with Nutella in them. So I grew up, my grandmother was from Italy, and so we had Nutella as kids growing up. That's why I'm fat. And so I got addicted to chocolate at a young age. But we, she used to put Nutella on toast. I used to eat it on English muffins all the time. I love Nutella. So then now that my kids, now that I have kids, I make them Nutella and put it in crepes, and they love it. They have two, three, four crepes. Abigail goes nuts when we, get, when we have crepes with Nutella in it. Sophia will not try Nutella. No matter what I do to make it seem appealing, she just won't try it. In her mind, she thinks it's bad for her. She thinks this is not going to taste good. Daddy, it's brown. It's funny looking. It looks like poop. Why are you trying to put that in my mouth? I say, come on, girl. It's chocolate. You'll love it. It's good for you. (laughs) How ridiculous is it? See, See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. She doesn't know what she's missing. It's easy for me to sit back in my comfort and say, I don't know if I want to pray. I don't think that's worth it. I think that's ridiculous. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Amen. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. You doing okay this morning? You still love me? You know I'm here to help you, not hurt you, right? Okay, good. 
I'll force feed you Nutella when you're not looking. First Thessalonians 5, verse 17, and it says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's almost like God thinks prayer's important. Right? It's almost like God thinks this is something we should be doing on a regular basis. I'll be honest with you, when I was a younger man, this prayer used to, or this verse used to intimidate me tremendously. Tremendously. I would, I would go, God, what the heck do you mean pray without ceasing? I'm just supposed to pray all day, every day. What about when I got to go to the bathroom? What about when I'm sleeping? What about when I'm talking to someone? I'm supposed to just hold my hand up while then force them to listen to me talking to you? That doesn't seem very kind. What about when I'm preaching, Lord? I can't pray while I preach. What about while I'm chewing food? My mom told me that was gross and not very polite to talk with your mouth full. I'm supposed to just pray all the time? I want to offer you a thought. I believe when the scripture says that we are to pray without ceasing, the point of it is not that we do nothing in our lives except pray, but I believe that the point of this verse is that we pray without stopping until something happens. Pray without stopping until something happens. One of the, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life is praying with people who are not from America. I've had the chance of traveling on both, both hemispheres. I've been to South America, Central America, Africa. I've been to some cool places, and I've gotten to pray with some cool people that are not as taken with all the things we're taken with in the Western world. And you know what's cool about those people? They pray until something happens. They know the secret of praying without ceasing. They're not just going to go pray for three minutes and then walk away and say, nothing happened. Don't know. Maybe God doesn't want me to have that thing I was asking him for. They lack, or excuse me, we lack in our world and in our culture persistence and consistency in prayer. And one of the things that you and I need to learn how to do is to pray until something happens. Pray without ceasing. Make the attitude adjustment. Make the thought adjustment in your life that says, you know what? I believe what the word says, and I'm going to pray until I begin to see the result of that word happening in my life. Pray until the house shakes. You go look at Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just come back from prison. They've been flogged and beaten and told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they, you know, they, y'all remember what happened in Acts 3? They raise up the lame man in the name of Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy goes walking and leaping and praising God. And all the religious people get mad at Peter and John. They did something good for somebody and religion got pissed. Can I say that in church? Yes, I can. It's my church. Hallelujah. <laughs> they did something nice for somebody, and the religious people got irritated by it. And so they threw him in jail, and they, and they warned them sternly, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4. Warned them sternly not to preach in this name of Jesus. Do you know what they did? As soon as they got let go, they went right back to the house where all the other believers were, and they had a prayer meeting. 
And they said, now, Lord, look unto their threats and grant to us that with great boldness and with signs and wonders we may preach your word. And the Bible says they prayed and two things happened. Everybody got filled with the Spirit and the house started to shake. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Pray until something happens. Pray until you are aware of a breakthrough. There's a reason they call it breakthrough. Sometimes you got to break through. <laughs> Anybody ever been praying and feel like you just run into a wall? Yeah? Feel like in the spirit, it's just like, man, I am pushing a 500-pound rock uphill right now. What do you do? Pray without ceasing. Make the decision. I'm going to keep pressing until I pray through. That's what old-time Pentecostals totally understood this concept. They said we would pray until we pray through. Now, there, there are, there's so much more that I want to say, so I need to be fast here. If you would go with me, please, to Luke chapter 18. I want to encourage you. I want to leave you today with something that will help you to pray more effectively. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read these eight verses very quickly because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 8. This is amazing to me. Jesus gives these guys a parable. And it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. What happens when you're praying and you don't feel like your prayer is effective? What happens is, most of the time, we lose heart. We start to get discouraged. We start to pray and we don't see the immediate benefit of our prayer happening and so we just give up. We don't stay consistent. We don't pray without ceasing. We lose heart. And Jesus is teaching them a parable here and the purpose for him teaching this parable is so that number one, they would learn to pray and number two, they would learn to pray without losing heart. So I'm gonna tell you that in the next eight verses is going to be a key to you and I praying effectively. If you'll take these next eight verses and, and, and really believe them and take them for yourself, you'll be able to pray with longevity. You'll be able to pray with consistency. You'll be able to pray without losing heart. It's just, you know, the Bible doesn't print words like that randomly. It's important that when we read a parable and the, and, the, and the text says to us why the parable is here, you need to take note of that because it's a principle that you can hold on to. This, this text, these eight verses will teach you how to pray without losing heart. Watch. Verse two, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Everybody say he was a jerk, right? He was a jerk. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me and for my adversary. Excuse me, get justice for me from my adversary. Have you ever gone to God asking him to do something about the devil? Lord, I got this adversary. I got this issue that I'm dealing with. I need justice from it. I need to get set free. Verse four, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I'm a jerk, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. 
lest by her continual coming she weary me. That's pretty, that's pretty profound. He says, I'm going to give her what she's asking for. Otherwise, she's going to keep being persistent until I get annoyed. And because of his own selfishness, he decided to grant her her request. Now watch this, verse 6. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith in the earth? Amen. What's the, what's the picture here? What's the lesson to be taken away? It's that even if this unjust jerk of a judge would grant this lady's persistent request, how much better and how much more our Father who actually loves us will he answer us when we are consistent in our prayer life? You see, if you can keep in mind and remember that even, even jerks get annoyed and, and cave after a little bit of persistence, listen, come on, parents, y'all know that this is you. When your kid, when you're like, no, you can't have the chocolate, and your kid's like, but daddy, please, but daddy, please, but daddy, please, but mommy, please, but please, but you know, I, I listen, listen, I, 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 and they start to plead their case, and they just sit there, and they just, can I have the chocolate, can I have the chocolate, can I have the chocolate, please, 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 please. can I have the chocolate, okay, fine, you can have the chocolate. <laughs> if an unjust person will cave, if an unjust person will yield, how much more your heavenly father who has the answer, knows the need, and actually wants to meet the need, how much more will he speedily, the Bible says, avenge you? How much more is God willing to meet your need when you pray with consistency? Glory to God. I'm telling you guys, this is life-changing. There's not enough time for us to do all the things that I want to do. Write these verses down, if you would, please, and you can go read them at your leisure later. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 tells us to continue earnestly in prayer. It's interesting. You can't continue something you haven't started. Selah. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Check it out. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The, the, the minister who lived in the 19th century, E.M. Bounds, or excuse me, the 18th century. No, the 19th century, sorry. E.M. Bounds said these words. Our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that never fails. Our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that will never fail. Why does the Bible harp 
on being consistent and persistent in prayer. Why is that? I just gave you like six different verses and a whole parable about persistence and consistency in prayer. Why does the Bible harp on that? Why did Jesus think that was a big deal? It's because the danger of allowing ourselves to become inconsistent in our lives. James chapter 1 goes on to tell us that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Somebody who is one foot in, one foot out is inconsistent, and their inconsistency creates in them instability. You can't be stable if you haven't been consistent, if you haven't learned how to be consistent. There's something remarkably powerful that happens when we get focused and get consistent in our decisions. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of people's faith doesn't work, not because they have no faith, but because they won't consistently stick with their faith. Whether we know it or not, the problems in our lives is our acceptance of our own inconsistency. This is the part where we're going to the gym, and I'm going to put the treadmill on 10. So just brace yourself. The problem in our lives is our own acceptance of our own inconsistency. It's not that we don't have the money, the status, the relationships, the dream job, the ideal friends, the ideal neighborhood. Whatever it is that you're hungry for is not your problem. The problem is that we've become okay with being inconsistent, and so our words don't have any value anymore. We say one thing, but we allow ourselves to do something else. I say, brother, I'll pray for you, and I never do. I mean, if there is one overused phrase in the body of Christ, it's, brother, I'm praying for you. Sister, I'm praying for you. Oh, brother, it's going to be all right. I'm praying for you. No, you're not. You're eating ice cream on the couch, binge-watching Netflix. You ain't praying for nobody. All right, we just hit about eight miles an hour. We got a couple more miles to go. We're on the treadmill. Let me adjust the incline so that we really go uphill here. We say all these things, but our lives, our, our lives don't have the consistency, and we've become okay with it. Is it any wonder why our prayers don't get answered? Why should God take your word seriously when you don't? Why should God hold, hold fast to a promise when I don't even hold fast to my own word? Why should God commit to me if I won't even commit to me? We, this is the perfect Sunday, by the way, to talk about this. Because I guarantee, whether in this room or listening online, somebody's made some New Year's resolutions. Right? This is my year. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to save money. I'm going to set these goals. Yeah, let's talk about the third week of February. Let's see how well we did with our resolutions. 
Why is God so serious about consistency in prayer? It's because he's so serious about consistency in everything. Because he understands that if we're unstable, it's because we've decided to be okay with being inconsistent. I believe that if we, as the people of God, would take the time to get consistent in our prayer life, if we would make the decision and follow through on that decision till it becomes a habitual pattern of prayer in our life, I believe that that is when our prayers become really powerful. When we make the decision and draw the line in the sand, I'm not just going to pray when it's easy. I'm going to pray when it's hard, and I'm going to pray when it's easy, and I'm going to pray when I feel nothing. I'm going to pray when it's neither easy nor hard, and it's just meh. Remember how I said at the beginning I want to challenge you and inspire you? Put up Matthew 7, 7, please, on the screen. I'm backing the the miles per hour down on the treadmill now. I want to tell you, God wants you to be consistent in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, you can be consistent in prayer. You may think, I'm too inconsistent. I'm too flighty. I'm here one day, gone tomorrow. I'm like a fart in the wind. I just can't hold it together. Pastor, how do I do this? Look at Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Verse 8, for whoever asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door shall be opened. Don't do yourself and God the disservice of praying prayers that knock once and walk away. How crazy would it be if you were invited to come to my house and we were going to have a nice supper together and I know you're coming and you know you're coming. You're supposed to get there at 6 o'clock. It's 5.59 and you, you see my car in the driveway. I saw you pull in. You walk up to the door. You knock once. Guess they're not home and you leave. How crazy would that be? But we do that with the Lord all the time. We pray one thing, one time, wait five seconds and then walk away. What if we could just learn to be consistent in our prayer? What if we took 1 Thessalonians 5 seriously and said, I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to pray till something happens. What would happen? Everybody who asks receives. Everybody who seeks finds. Everybody who knocks, not once, not twice, not a hundred times, but as many times as it takes. What if you just got so doggone persistent in prayer that your family thought you were weird until the answer showed up, and then everybody said, well, they're a hero. Maybe I need to have them pray for me. What if we could just kick our own inconsistencies in the butt and say, you know what? 2020 is going to be a different year. Not because I'm going to lose weight, not because I'm going to save money. Those things are great. But you know why 2020 is going to be different? Because I'm going to get in the habit of prayer. (laughs) I'm going to learn to pray till something happens. What if we did that? I bet our lives would change. I bet our church would change. I bet our community would change. I bet your family would change. I bet your job would change. 
Some of you got some of you got job problems. I don't know who this is for, but some of you got issues on the job. And you're going, I wonder why. I wonder what the key is to getting my job to improve. I'm here to tell you, persistent, consistent prayer will change your job. I just, my boss is such a jerk. Pray for him. Pray for her. Hold them up before the Lord persistently and commit to praying without ceasing until you see something start to change in their life. Some of you are on the doorstep of big decisions and you need to know what to, which direction to go. Don't do that lightly. Don't willy-nilly make a decision. Pray. Talk to God. Get a word from God for your life. How does that happen? It happens when you pray without ceasing. I don't know who that job thing is for, but it's for somebody in this room. You're on the doorstep of a decision. You're, you're facing a situation that you're asking to get better. You want it to get better. It's your boss or a coworker or somebody like that. Somebody that you are in a situation where you have to deal with them over and over again, and you're feeling like, I've done everything I know to do, and the situation hasn't gotten any better. I'm here to tell you, you need to start praying for that individual, for that situation, with consistency, with persistence, and you'll see it change. All right, let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.